0: Good morning brothers and sisters, Good morning. so thank you so much for having us back, um, we obviously were invited back because we didn't misbehave all too much, so <laughs> it's really great to be back here, we, we really enjoy spending time with you, I'm uh, trying the, the technological thing again, I want to save paper so I'm trying my tablet, so let's see how it goes, I think I've just got to get to the front, to the first page. But thanks again for having Kelly and I back. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Gail. Thanks to Peter. It gives Pete a break. He said that you guys give him a lot of upheels, so he really needs a rest. Is it true? See, I knew it. So thanks very much for having us back. We spent time the last time in Romans, if you can remember. But I know you've been spending a whole lot of time in Romans, and you finished the book of Romans. And it's a beautiful book of theological doctrine and practice. And if I'm not mistaken, last week you spent a bit of time in prayer, Gail, and which must have been a real blessing together just to, to worship the Lord and just to lift other people up. But today, because I study at SATS, so I'm a second-year st- student at the South African Theological Seminary, which means that Titus 2 is part of the subject that we're doing, and that's homiletics. So homiletics is the art of preaching. That's, in layman's terms, what it means. So I've had to choose this passage, and I knew that you just came off of Romans 16 and 15, which tells the church how to behave. So it's really difficult for me to tie this in today, but I had an idea of relating it to the seven churches in Revelation, but time obviously won't afford me that. It's a bit of a long time. So what I've done is I've tied it to the signs of the times, and I... I did spend time in prayer, so I don't think I did this by myself. It's only the Lord that could have helped me because I was really confused at a time. But it's on the signs of the times. So they lie on the table side by side, the Holy Bible and the TV guide. One is well-worn but cherished with pride, not the Bible, but the TV guide. One is used daily to help folks decide, not the Bible, it's the TV guide. As the pages are turned, what shall they see? Oh, what does it matter? Turn on the TV. Then confusion reigns. They can't all agree on what they shall watch on the old TV. So they open the book in which they confide, No, not the Bible. It's the TV guide. The word of God is seldom read. Maybe a verse. Ever they fall into bed. Exhausted and sleepy and tired as can be, not from reading the Bible, from watching TV. So then back to the table, side by side, lay the Holy Bible and the TV guide. No time for prayer, no time for the word. The plan of salvation is seldom heard. But forgiveness of sin so full and free is found in the Bible, not on TV. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we go into the scripture today. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for the worship. We could sing, we could glorify you, Lord. It's just an honor and a privilege to be with people that are in the body of Christ. Lord, today we've got a message on how the church is to behave, the sound qualities of a church, but what we're going to tie in, Lord, is the great apostasy, as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4. So be with us, Lord. Please protect us and guide us. Any preconceived ideas we have, Lord, may we leave them at the door. And in Jesus' name we want to learn. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, leading up to Titus 2, verse 1 to 10, we, we see Paul writes to Titus and he's giving him exhortations on how to appoint elders within the body. Just a, a nice background for you so that you know what's happening, so that I don't just throw you into the deep end and you leave not understanding what happened. Also, he lists between 17 and 18 characteristics. That an elder is supposed to have. But then he goes on to show Titus that there are false teachers. There are those that are insubordinate. In other words, those that will not obey the authority of God. There are idle talkers and deceivers. Those that were of the circumcision. They were known as Judaizers. And what they were doing is they were saying, You can be a Christian, but you have to adhere to the law. You still have to go back to the law. And they misunderstood completely the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. The other false doctrines were obviously just taught for dishonest gain. In those days, people were on the street corners in every area where they could be to teach whatever they thought was applicable to the lives of the people. There was even a 6th century BC poet by the name of Epimenides. You'll see it in your scripture in 1 Titus, and he quotes the Cretans, exactly where Titus is based. He says they are evil, evil beasts, liars, and gluttons. So Paul's uh, thrown Titus into the deep end here, And that brings us to the Titus passage in Titus 2 that Hilton read. Thank you, Hilton. The church is exhorted to live and speak the things for sound doctrine. I can promise you it's not the first time you're going to hear sound doctrine today. I'm going to mention it about another thousand times. But it's really, really important. Paul lists five categories of people here. He lists older women, younger women, older men, younger men, as you saw, and slaves or bond servants. But the most important thing for us to remember is that the reader is to cherish the Word of God. is to remember that sound doctrine is the foundation of our faith and the discerner of our behavior. And how comparable is that to our day today? Kelly and I were chatting this week about the cults, many of the cults that arose out of the 19th century. But just before the 19th century, obviously, was a period of great enlightenment in the 18th century. And so what they taught their their children... Came forth in the 19th century, and so many of the other cults arose. So we have to be very aware that I've tied this into the great apostasy because this is what is happening. So today we tie the exhortation of Paul in the book of Titus with a prophesied apostasy and warning in the book of 1 Timothy. This, in a church context, as we can see, we are to avoid these things and be vigilant in these things. It is by keeping sound doctrine and coming back to the word with anything and everything where we can then discern between true and not wrong, not true and false, but true and not so much true. So remember that the Scriptures shape us and they lay a foundation for us so that we can be alert, and be aware, and defend the only true gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to accomplish what the Father has set him out to accomplish. And so he appointed apostles and disciples. They gave us the full and final revelation in the Word, and so did the Holy Spirit. And so if anyone comes to you today and says he's got an extra word for you that's extra biblical, put on your favorite pair of Nikes and hit for the road. Because it's wrong. The word is full and final and we are blessed to have the word as we have it. And remember that the Christian's, the Christians hope for us sitting here today is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to our message title for today. Our message title for today, and I roped Christo into helping me He's going to help me with the slides, but don't put too much pressure on him. Because I've put a ton on him, but he's helping me. The message title is Doctrinally on God during the Great Apostasy. Doctrinally on God during the Great Apostasy. I'm, going to, I'm not going to read the Titus 2 passage again. It is a long passage because we're going to unpack that. But I'm going to read Timothy 1 Timothy 4 for you quickly. Just verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, now the Spirit expressly says, so he got a prompting from the Holy Spirit to write this, that in the latter times, our times, I would say, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, numbing ourselves so much to the truth that we follow our own desires. Forbidding to marry, we can see that happening at a rapid rate and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. As we know, Peter received the vision of a cloth, and on on the cloth was all sorts of animals, every single animal that we can imagine. So if someone comes to you and says, you have to abstain from eating that, for example, what did the Lord say? What does the Bible say? And that's why doctrine is so important. So in drawing these parallels with Paul's exhortation to Titus, and I'm going to call it the realities of the modern-day apostasy, we will look at how we are to behave in the body of Christ through Titus 2, verses 1 to 10. So it brings us to our first main point. Our first main point for today is remember the importance of sound doctrine. Titus 2, verse 1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So what Paul is saying to Titus here, he's obviously speaking to Titus, because Titus has been placed in Crete, and he's saying, but as for you, Titus, you have to speak the things which are for sound doctrine. And that's for me standing here. It's for Pete. It's for anyone where we go and we can test what the pastor or the preacher is saying against the word of God. And it's a stern exhortation by Paul. He's just told Titus about all the false teachers. And now he's saying, don't worry about the legalism of those people. Don't worry about the fables they're telling every person. You be that example in the faith of sound doctrine. Paul's saying, I taught you those things. So take those things on board and teach them to others. And the first one, the first scripture that came to mind when I was spending time in preparation was 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. And it's a massive exhortation to Timothy. He says, preach the word with an exclamation mark. Be ready in season and out of season. And Ray was talking about seasons earlier. We must always be ready to preach the word. No matter what confronts us as pastors and teachers, Always be ready to preach the word. Convince. The word is used to convince others. The word is used to rebuke those within the body. And it's used to exhort. In other words, encourage all of us with long-suffering and teaching. And the second thing that Paul puts here, and remember that he's calling Titus to not only think right, but to live right. So we can't apply the word to our minds and say, okay, I know what the Lord wants me to do, but I'm still going to live this way. And that's what he's saying to Titus. The Bible is very clear on, on how we are to live holy living. And in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, you would have obviously spent time in this passage. But I love this passage. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Mm. So every day, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? Because that is our reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That's the second way we are to live. Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what is the perfect and pleasing will of God. So that's really important. As an example, I came out of hospital three and three and a half years ago, and so I met the Lord in hospital. For those of you that don't know, I didn't know Jesus before I had my accident. And so, praise His name that I came to, to faith in Him. But what happened is, I did not still know about church, and I came to church, we started going to church quite often, Kelly and I, but I was there for ticking a box. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, was, it felt more of a duty than anything else. And then I knew, in starting to spend time in sound doctrine, in scripture, I was given a study Bible, and that then demanded that I transform my lifestyle. That's what the Word of God does. It demands a transformed lifestyle. So ticking that box is not how we ought to live. In other words, we're supposed to live not conforming to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that helped me realize the power of the Word. The power of the Word is amazing. It's tested over centuries how many scholars have tried to disprove the Bible in its original manuscripts. They cannot do it. There's too much proof. There's too much evidence. There's too much everything for us to say, well, listen, we have to put the Word of God aside and live according to our own desires. And that's my encouragement to us today is to spend time in doctrine, to spend time in sound doctrine, listening to sound teachers. Be careful of the mega churches and these people that punt different types of uh, gospels, prosperity gospels, health and wealth gospels. These things are infiltrating the church, and it's a massive problem because people don't get what they think is being sold to them, and then it's Jesus' fault. Massive problem. So that's my encouragement. Don't be swayed by false teachers and false doctrines. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but on the inside there are as ravenous wolves. Trust the word of God. That's my exhortation to us today. And in this context, obviously, you remember, we're tying in the passage with a great apostasy. Other things that are, are not even people within the church, but now we've started to incorporate Eastern mysticism, things like the New Age movement. I don't know if many of you know what the New Age movement is, but it's coming into Christianity thick and fast. Um, reincarnation, for example, crystals, repeating mantras, yoga. He's even infiltrating the church. And all it's doing is it's, it's focusing on self. But we're taught to pick up our cross and follow him. That's what Jesus teaches us. Buddhism, pantheism, I can keep you guys busy here for a long time. But the exhortation is that even the works-based faiths are saying to you, do X and you you'll might get into heaven. God did everything for us. He gave Jesus Christ his only begotten son for you and I. And that's, that is amazing. I, just, I sometimes still battle to understand it, but it's a gift, and God loves us that much. So when we continue in sound doctrine, the Holy Spirit, A, guides us into the all truth, as Jesus said, and B, he guides us into living a godly and Christian lifestyle. Why doctrine, we may ask. In James one twenty one, James tells us, and by the way, James was the brother of Jesus Half-brother, and he only believed in Jesus after the resurrection. So he was, he was convinced by, by the Lord to write this. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. So in that context, everything that's infiltrating the church, or what's keeping us away from the Lord Jesus. Here he says, and receive the meekness of the implanted word. In other words, be resigned to accept the word of God. Because that word is able to save your souls. So it's really important, the, the implanted word in some context, in some uh, manuscripts is trans, translated, the inborn word. And remember, I know the Presbyterian background is not as charismatic as other people. And When we l- use the term born again, everyone's like, oh no, these are the happy clappies and things like that. But what we have to understand is that the Lord Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he said, Nicodemus, you're the ruler of all these people. You're teaching them all the things, but you do not know That you have to be born again. You've been born of water. Every single one of us have been born of water. But we have to be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven because we have to rely on His work in us to bring us into the arms of the Father. And so those that have repented of their sin, obviously, and of of not originally coming... We all came came from a sinful lifestyle, if I can put it that way. We all have to understand that we are sinners. But once we repent and we ask God to forgive us of our sin and we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, then the Bible says we will be saved. And I think that's so reassuring. And it's really freeing. So those that are born again by the Spirit of God are regenerated by the Spirit because He transforms us, He sanctifies us, and most importantly, He points us to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the foundation of our faith. It transforms and liberates our most inward parts. It reveals the desires of our hearts, and it creates a hunger in us to bear much fruit. Importantly, brothers and sisters, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That brings us to our second point. Our second point commences with the exhortations to people within the body of Christ. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. And what the second point is, is sound doctrine equips sound men. So Paul says in verse 2 that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. So remember, everything I say today, we we have to look at it from a, a manly perspective, if I can put it that way, and the exhortations of the woman and see where we can maybe better ourselves in our faith. So the men are to be sober. In other words, they're not to be given over to wine and they have to be careful in conduct. And the translation is actually not to be given to much wine. So... I'm not going to tell you what you must do, but don't let it become an idol. Don't let it become something that takes you away from the Lord Jesus. So the older men are to be reverent, honest and upright men. They are to be temperate, in other words, of sound mind, sane, self-controlled, and trust the washing of the Word. Right? Trust the fruits of the Spirit to bear the characteristics in us. The older men are also to have sound faith or be sound in faith which means you trust in God alone for His gift of redemption that He brings to us in Jesus. Not callous and bitter, but exude that ideal Christian lifestyle. So the older man is to exude the ideal Christian lifestyle. He's to be sound in doctrine and teaching, as I've said, and I'll say it until we finish today. All forms of love (coughs) is to come out of the older men. Self-sacrificial love, brotherly love, and then be patient. And it's even with ourselves, with older men. Be patient with yourselves. You're going to get frustrated. Things are going to happen. Be steadfast and persevere. That is the exhortation from Paul to the older men. To give an idea, when I had the study Bible that I mentioned earlier, I was spending time in 1 Timothy 6. I didn't know the, the word of the Lord, so I was just going through and reading it. But I got to this passage, and, it's, and, and this text says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, and gentleness. The biblical font is probably written in in a 12 or a 10 font. This looked like a hundred font on the page. The Lord was calling me to leave everything that I was in and pursue the godly character that He wants us as men to pursue. So that's the plea to the older men today. Because why? The older men can get dragged into all sorts of things. Obviously just as much as the younger men. But alcohol abuse... Um, In ministry, you know, we come to people, the people come to us with the addiction issues. And my first question is, who do you hang around with? Because that is pivotal into us keeping a relationship with the Lord. Worldly things like materialism and pride can get a hold of us. We can succumb to corruption, temptation, lust, adultery, impatience. You know, the list does go on. I can sit here and list many, many things. But it's important that as older men, we avoid falling away. As men, we apply the sound doctrine and sound teaching that the, word of God, that the word of the Lord has given to us. Then we listen to the Holy Spirit and His divine prompting within us. We remain sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Then Paul goes to the ladies. He goes to the older woman now. And I think it's nice how he, how he approaches each person so that someone can't say, Oh, but he didn't specifically address me. You can't escape the word of the Lord. The third main point is sound doctrine comforts sound woman. Sound doctrine comforts sound woman. And this is Titus 2 verse 3. The older women likewise that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. So just as the men are exhorted to do specific things and be specific in their action, so the older women are to be reverent just as the men. Remember Paul says, Likewise, the older woman, be reverent, be honest and upright as an older woman in the church. Uh, By the way, I'm not saying, I'm not looking at anyone saying you're an older woman. You can decide that. I don't want to get kicked out before I'm finished. But we know that the the Lord is is saying something to us here. We're not to be distracted as older women with ungodly matters, things that waste our time. um, Possible vain appearances, things like that. Don't be a slanderer. We had an instance last week at one of the other churches that we attend where um, a lady was bringing in a a false word among people. And so they asked her 10 times, 15 times to stop. And they, they wanted to meet with her and did meet with her many times. But they eventually had to say to her, sorry, you have to leave. Because you're gossiping in the church, you're slandering the church, and it's not true. If the accusations were true, we would try and fix those things. But the accusations weren't true. And Paul actually uses quite a strong word for not slanderers. He uses the word diabolos. I don't know if there's many Greeks here, yeah? but diabolos means that if you're doing these things and you're gossiping, you're actually siding with the devil. That's a strong rebuke. You're siding with the devil. So gossiping, slandering, false accusations, it's a waste of time. The conduct of the older woman must reveal that they regard life as sacred in all of its aspects. Not given too much wine, just as I mentioned with the men. Don't, be, don't let it become a slave. Don't become a slave to things that are keeping you away from the Lord. And this one I found really awesome. It was teachers of good things. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, the women are more susceptible, I can put it that way, or more you are drawn to a relationship with the Lord than men are. Us men are stubborn. We think we know everything until the Lord brings us to our knees where the woman has a better relationship, an easier relationship, if I can put it that way, in meeting the Lord and having these things. So teachers of good things, the woman at home is to teach the biblical truths of God, right? Whether at home, at work, at play, any way, the woman stands up. The guy is worried about his ego and he's worried his mates think, some, think something about him. So he will maybe not slip in the gospel here or not, but the woman doesn't care. She just goes straight in. Praise the Lord for women. <laughs> Older and younger, by the way. (laughs) These examples will set a precedent at home and in the body of Christ with younger women. And we'll see why now. But Solomon writes in Proverbs 31, Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And immediately when I was spending time in this text, I got to Hannah. Remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 1? It brought me straight to the example that Hannah was. She was a God-fearing woman. She knew the Lord. She was the wife of a man by the name of Elkanah. And what Elkanah said is, Hannah, you're always so upset. I've given you more than what 10 sons could give you. But all Hannah wanted was a son. The Lord even says in the scriptures that he closed the womb. But her faithfulness brought her to the temple one year. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And, who, and her faithfulness, who did she bear? bear. Samuel, the great priest and prophet. So this is the application. When the woman of the church knows sound doctrine they believe in the truths of the word, then they can apply these exhortations to themselves and to the younger woman. That is what sound doctrine does. That is how the women are to stay away from being dragged back into the world, just as the men. Same as the man, as I say, there's no difference. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, both men and women, his main mission is to point us back to Jesus every time. If someone you know, there's hyper-charismatic hyper churches, which I will say, that focus too much on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role is to point us back to Jesus. It's really, really important to know that. Why? Because His role and, and, and work in us is to make, make us both like Jesus in character and in ministry, in character and ministry. So the ladies are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, and teachers of good things. Now we're getting to the younger people that Paul is now confronting. And one of these is Titus. Because remember, Titus was put there as a youngster. So was Timothy in his area. So this is what Paul is saying. And our fourth main point is sound doctrine transforms young men and women. Sound doctrine transforms young men and women. Older women admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So we've got two camps of people here, young women, young men. And the admonishment here is that the younger women are to be taught by the older women. They are to know the way of the Lord, the will of the Lord, and they are to know all these things so that the younger women can adopt these truths and apply them to their own context. So to, for the younger woman to love her husband, she first has to see that the older woman loves her husband. Right? That for me is a logical example. Thank you. So when they love their husbands, it's not only with that love that we know, but it's an emotional love. It's an affectionate love. It's a liking. It's a caring love. In other words, Paul uses a Greek word here again, and this word is philandros. It's a one word. It's an all-encompassing love. It takes on everything. They're to love their children, the young women are to love their children. Also, obviously, if her mother loved her, she will know how to pass on that love to her children. And it's not only affection a love again, it's not only affection, but it's very important, this, and it's reading the word to your children. Praying with your children, disciplining them firmly and fairly. You know, the, the word of the Lord says, do not spare the rod. Now, many people take that out of context We pray for those types of people, but the Lord wants us to discipline our children because it, it helps them. Look at society today. It's, it's a shocker. Like kids do whatever they want because everyone has gone away from the word of the Lord. That's the main problem. And this is scary. And if I was to say this in a secular context, it wouldn't make sense. But I'll say to us that what you are doing is you're actually molding that child for the Lord's service. And this is harsh, but it's going to make a lot of sense. You're not sending them to eternal damnation. You're part of the role of molding that child. Proverbs 22, 6. This is a promise from the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. We all know the rest. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a promise. So the younger women, too, are to be discreet. Same as the older women, older men, sound mind, sensible, because they do. You cannot, you have to be very careful of being dragged out of the church and back into the world. They are to be chaste, in other words, faithful to husbands, avoiding impurities in thought Avoiding impurities in words and actions. Be sacred, be pure in the eyes of the Lord. To be homemakers. Now today times have changed a little bit. As we know in those days the, most of the women were, were at home unless they were single women. And so what Paul is saying here is to them, keep your home in order. But I think it can apply to today as well. I think it's, it's a role that the Lord has given the woman in and among the context of the divine order that he's placed upon us as men and women. But this is why, and I found this really amazing, is because her demeanor will glorify God. That's really important. Her demeanor will glorify God. If she has a, a friend coming that's maybe not a believer, he, will, he or she will look at her example and say, she's got something different. What is it that she has? She's got the Lord Jesus. That's the important thing. She's to be good. In other words, not self-centered, but joyful, honorable, and hospitable. Generous, as I said. Obedient to their own husbands. Now this, in a, in, a, in a modern day sense, again, can get really out of hand. But as I say, the Lord has, the, has placed a divine order on the house. So rather than competing with a husband, Paul is saying, honor his calling on Jesus Christ or by Jesus Christ on his life. So how much did Jesus Christ love his church? He gave himself for her. That's what the man is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to love his wife and family so much that he'll give himself for her. He'll die for her. That's what Paul is saying. Praise your husband, encourage him, exhort him to do the things of the Lord. Why? The last point, because the word of God may not be blasphemed. This is what the whole message is about today, is the sound doctrine, the word of God. To know that by obedience, the word gives us freedom not to be like the world, but to be those that are called and set apart for Almighty God's service. So recently I read a book. I don't know if you've read a book by the lady, Anita Dittmann. She, the book is called Trapped in Hitler's Hell. She was in the Holocaust. She was about uh, seven or eight, I think, when Hitler came into power. And she saw her two aunts being taken away from her and taken to gas chambers. Her dad was half German, uh, sorry, fully German. Her mom was Jewish, so she was, she was half and half. And so her dad left. Her dad decided he couldn't take the pressures of being seen as married to a Jewish woman and having Jewish children, or half-Jewish children, so he left. So she grew up being hated, she was beaten, she was mocked, she was scourged. She she almost even, I think she almost died, I can't remember the amount of times, it must have been five to ten times. But what was important and what I want to take out of the story for us is that the mother's influence on teaching her about Jesus changed her life. She knew that the Lord had a plan, and yes, She's one of a few that came through the concentration camps. We can say that. But she knew, even in the book, she said, Lord, you help us. We can only trust in you. And that's the example of an older woman to a younger woman, is to be that example in the Lord. That's the admonishment. Likewise, the younger men. Younger men don't think you're going to get away with anything. Christo. Um, (laughs) The younger men are to be sober-minded. Now, to be sober-minded is to control ourselves. And, you know, the youth for a young man is a time of zeal and burning desires and all sorts of silly things. But the word of the Lord, that sound doctrine, teaches the young man continence and balance. It teaches him the truths of the word and how he can apply that to his life and, once again, not get dragged back into the world. So then Paul goes on and he switches the exhortation to the young men and he applies it to Titus. And he says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern. So what he's doing now is he's saying, you're the young guy. You're teaching these people in Crete. You're teaching the younger, the older. You're teaching everybody. But now he's using him as an example against the young men. So what he says is, he says, in all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. In other words, Titus is to be that manly Christian example to other men younger than him in the congregation even maybe a bit older than him, to show what the Holy Spirit has done in his life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And that's what Paul is saying to Titus. Remember that. And it's the same for us today, all of us. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've repented of your old ways, you're a new creation. So then he says you're supposed to be sound in doctrine to Titus because it will be an example to the younger guys. In other words, sticking to the teaching and the truths of the word of God, showing integrity, being of sound mind, being reverent. In other words, your teaching must be dignified and sensible. I hope I'm making sense to us today. To be incorruptible. In other words, a sincere teacher who cannot be corrupted and swayed by the world. If we have someone in the pulpit that can easily be moved, there's a problem. You have to be sticking to the 66 books of the Bible given in full and final revelation to us. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. In other words, preaching the pure unadulterated word. That's the role of Titus. And that's the role of the younger men, too, in the church. That the one who is an opponent may be ashamed. In other words, whoever might come and oppose Titus, myself, whoever else is teaching, whoever else comes, they cannot find a kink in my armor. They have to know that that man is solid in the word of God. Because why? Then they'll have nothing evil to say of you. Why? Because we live a holy life. Remember, I just put you in like a little yellow thing, the Sunday box ticking. You know, I, I, that really meant a lot to me when I started understanding what the Lord wanted of me and what His word can do. No one outside can come back and say, you know, that guy that was in the pulpit on Sunday, you must check him on a Thursday. Whoa, it's it's not good. And that's what the word of the Lord does. He transforms us. So my uh, exhortation to both young women and young men today is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. And the thing is, is that the younger men and women with school, with secular universities, and with things like that, it's very easy to be dragged back into the world. So we take the truths of Scripture as younger men and women, that incorruptible word, and we trust it wholeheartedly. When listening to the teacher, we do what the Bereans did in Acts 17.11. In in Luke's account, he writes about Paul teaching to a specific crowd, and they were known as the Bereans, they were in Berea. And look what he writes, he says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness. In other words, they came to the gatherings with readiness. They wanted to receive the word. But what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You've got the text for today. Hilton read it for us. You hear what I'm saying, go and test what I'm saying against the word. It's very, very important that you test all things against the word of God. So test the preacher, compare his teaching Because the word is inerrant and infallible. Unfortunately, we are fallible as teachers. So remember, the modern day apostasy is upon us and people are falling away left, right and center. Dave Hunt, a theologian and author, he writes some amazing books. He says, there is no excuse for falling into delusion, which is so contrary to the word of God. That brings us to our fifth and final point. Titus 2 verse 9 to 10. Sound doctrine sanctions sound servants. Sound doctrine sanctions sound servants. <coughs> Paul writes, Exhort bond servants or slaves, and I'm going to take it in our context today, and I'm going to use the word workers. So in a modern sense, we're all working for someone, or we're employing someone. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So, in relating this message to sound doctrine and the warning of falling away, we look at Titus's day, right? Titus had the had slavery was rife, and remember the book of Philemon. Paul also writes about Philemon, and he says, "This is we're not supposed to t- treat people like this." But the modern day slavery then, it doesn't work out. The slavery then. Um, pointed to different situations, and they were treating slaves like, like they were dogs, basically. And what Titus is saying is that teach the bond servants about their specific duties as Christians, as we are to do today. Teach the workers that, we, that either work for us or, that, um, or who we work for, is that teach them a the duty as a Christian. So in the ancient world, Christians shocked the larger culture by mixing slaves and masters In the social setting. And why is that? It's simple. The word of God takes away uh, cultural boundaries between men and women. Between employer and worker. So importantly, it's the teaching of the word. It's the teaching that the Lord gives us that helps us understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So the bond servant, the worker, is to be well-pleasing in all things. In other words, in your workplace, accept all things that are handed on to you. That's what the word of the Lord is saying. He's asking us. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Answering back, this is a, this is a massive problem in today's society. and Many of us think we've been gifted with a, with a gap and we can say what we want. But in a Christian context, we don't answer back out of anger and frustration. Sure, if there's a dialogue and we're chatting to someone, of course we can answer back. That's a, that's a relational discussion. But never answer out of anger and frustration unless someone challenges your faith. If someone is saying something against the Lord Jesus Christ, you are allowed to stand up. Don't pilfer, in other words, don't steal. Show good fidelity. Be faithful in character, one that is to be relied on. Be a person that people can rely on. Why? Because the sound doctrine, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Other people will see that everything in our lives pertains to sound doctrine. And the scripture reference I want to use there is Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Remember, Paul's writing about who Jesus is, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and this is for the context, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So if Jesus himself came from heaven, emptied himself of all his privileges, we too can take on those characteristics of being servants with each other and being servants in sound doctrine. No matter what industry you're in, no matter what church you're in, the Lord calls us to be different. He calls us to be on guard. He calls us not to be of this world. So in looking at qualities of a sound church and guarding against the great apostasy, the church is exhorted to live for and speak the things for sound doctrine. The scriptures given are by the Holy Spirit as we know, and He helps us especially in times of uncertainty, in times of need, in times of challenging or challenges being put on us by different belief systems. We always go back to the Word. We always trust the Word because it is inerrant, it is infallible, it's been tested and it's been proven. Remember the importance of sound doctrine. It equips sound men, it comforts sound women, it transforms young men and women, and it sanctions sound servants. The only way that you and I will be able to guard against false prophets, as, as one, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, false prophets, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies, and having our consciences seared with a hot iron, is this, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, the word word is the Lord Jesus. Remember John 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the Lord Jesus is our foundation and the cornerstone of our faith. Remember that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Earlier I mentioned imminence and the the Christian's hope. The Christian's hope in Titus 2 verse 13 just after these passages that we read is that we are to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul writes and he says Jesus could appear in the twinkling of an eye. We don't know when he's coming back. He could come back before I finish this message. That would be amazing, but he could come back. He could come and fetch us now. And my question to you today is are you ready? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Do you Have you responded to the truth in the gospel? Have you repented? And have you placed your faith in him? And if you haven't, we echo these words in the prayer we'll say together is that the Lord Jesus has come to do a good work. He's come to do a final work for you and I. Let's pray. Most gracious God and heavenly Father, thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you that you've taught us in your word how to guard against falling away from the Christian faith. Lord, each and every one of us go through different things on a daily basis, and there's a temptation of us being drawn away. But Lord, we stand steadfast in the word that you've given us. Your Holy Spirit lives within us, and Lord, he guides us into all truth. But may we be strong and persevere in our faith, that we may understand what you've called for us, Lord. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't understand fully, who maybe has one leg in and one leg out, the gospel message is this that Christ died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the disciples, and he appeared to over 500 people at once. They witnessed the glorious resurrection. Why do we need Jesus? It's because you are a holy God. You're a holy God, and no one can be around you unless. They accept the sacrifice and gift that you've given us. So, echo this prayer in your heart if you do not understand, but you be convicted by the Holy Spirit today to understand the message of the Lord. And it is simple Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I come before you with an open heart and repent of not knowing that you are the great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I ask you humbly to forgive me of my sin. And i ask you to lead me in a new life. Make me a new creation by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray for thanks for this fellowship. We pray for thanks for Mount Faith. We pray for thanks for the blessings. Even in times of adversity, we look to the skies for our redemption draws near. So in Jesus' name, I thank you, Father. Blessed be your name. Amen.